Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we have a very special welcome for you. If you'll check in with us and provide an email address, this coming week, we will send you a gift card and the coffee or tea is on us. This is week 11 of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the message, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Jen with our announcements. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown, so glad you're here today. The prayer ministry here at Schweitzer has many facets, and today I'm so excited that we are going to be highlighting that as part of a prayer fair, basically, that we're having over in the lounge area off of Entrance B, across from the kids' check-in. We'll have tables set up where you can learn more about all the different ways that we have prayer ministry happening here on campus. Be sure you take a few minutes after service today, stop by, get to know more about our prayer ministry. This Wednesday, August 9th, we're hosting another R&R night with our Schweitzer kids. That means parents get to go out and have a great night out while kids have a blast hanging out together. We also have student ministries happening at the same time from 6.30 to 8.15. Be sure you sign up your kids if you're planning to come to R&R. No need to sign up your students, but we welcome them to come join us on Wednesday. Coming up in two weeks on August 17th is our last blast of summer. This is our annual event kicking off the school year. We have bounce houses, games, activities, even a car show. If you're wanting to come be part of that, volunteer, have a car in the car show, make sure you sign up, talk to our kids team. This is a great way we serve our community. We just have a blast kicking off the end of summer and the school year. So be sure you sign up and learn more at schweitzer.church next. One last reminder, we're finishing up our back to school drive for Pittman Elementary this week. And if you picked up a bag in the past couple weeks, make sure you bring that back next Sunday. You can also drop this off in the office. We can't wait to see what you bring back. And this will be a great way to help encourage the students over at Pittman Elementary. Thank you again for being here today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those great announcements. Don't forget that if you want to join us for any or all of these wonderful things happening at Schweitzer Church, you can find more information online at schweitzer.church next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now let's continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray together. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of prayer, just for the opportunity to come to you and lay our concerns and our joys at your feet. We know that you are there with us through every trial, through every mistake we make, through every joy that we encounter. And God, today we especially want to say we are sorry for the sins that we commit. But God, we know that you've forgiven us. What an amazing thing that is. So we ask you, God, to restore in us a clean heart, to renew that right spirit within us so that we can continue to glorify you through our actions and our words. And we're no longer bogged down by our sins and our debts. God, as we continue to pray today, we wanna to pray the prayer that your son gave us, saying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, it's my joy to share with you something that happened recently through our Schweitzer Student Ministries. Several of our students spent a week at Camp Barnabas on a mission trip. They were able to walk alongside students and adults with disabilities. It was a great week and they helped provide a great camp experience for these people. They had a wonderful time, they learned so much and probably got more out of it than the people that they served. But what a blessing it was. And it's because of you that things like this happen. Thank you so much for supporting this ministry and so many others here at Schweitzer Church. We wanna remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church give. And now, Here's Pastor Spencer with week 11 of our sermon series on David.
Well, friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Spencer. We are continuing our series on King David. There's so much to his story. So we are going all summer on this, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, going deep into King David's story because there's just so much to learn. Now today, I wanna give you a little heads up. This is gonna be a little bit more uh, uncomfortable than some of the weeks that we've had so far. It's also gonna be a little bit more PG-13 as we walk through this. Uh, we've seen David do some incredible things in this uh, series. There's so much to be inspired by that that's just absolutely amazing. Um, today though is not like that. This is more of a don't be like David kind of kind of story because we're gonna read really one of the great moral failures of the Bible. And it comes from David, who is a man after God's own heart. So we're going to be in two chapters today, 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12. And um, at this point, David has uh, been king for some time. His kingdom has been established. His, his rule is there. His enemies have been dealt with. Life is good for him. And, uh, you know, for some people... Faith and the faithful life, one of the, the great challenges uh, to faith, faithful life is when life is hard, when you face adversity. And we've read through a lot of adversity in David's life where his back is against the wall. There's all these kinds of challenges and he's always handled adversity really, really well. And, and, and the reason why adversity though can be a challenge for some people is because there's this temptation to be overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and stress. But David hasn't been responding in that kind of way when life is hard. There's also another kind of challenge for other people where um, the great challenge, the great temptation to, to the, the faithful life is not when life is hard, but when life is, is easy, not adversity, but rather prosperity. Because there's this temptation in prosperity to grow complacent and you begin to think that life really revolves around you and you grow lazy and you grow uh, to, to, to pursuing what it is that you want, where you think it's all about you because you've established this, you've made this happen, and life, therefore, is, is easy and good, and yet you lose the faithful life. And this is David. He does not handle prosperity very well. So 2 Samuel 11, David is um, in a period of prosperity. His kingdom is his, his enemies are dealt with. Life is good. The kingdom is thriving. And then we come to this, verse 1. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, they go off to war in the spring because in that part of the world, the uh, winter is the rainy season. So in the spring, the roads dry up and they can move an army. So the spring when kings go off to war, David is not going to go to war this time like he's supposed to, as his royal office would have him, to protect his people. Instead, this is what we read. It says, David sent Joab, Joab is his general, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem by himself, not with his men, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Instead, David's in Jerusalem. He's got nothing to do, which is usually a recipe for disaster. Verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, catch a few things here. First, notice, when did David get up from his bed? In the, in the evening, in the late afternoon. Now, there's some debate among scholars. Some people think that, that this is him getting up from his afternoon nap because in that part of the world, um, it's hot there. and People take naps in the middle of the day to escape the, the heat of the day. Other scholars are like, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? Look at the context here. David is already being portrayed as lazy. I mean, he's, he's not with the army. This isn't an afternoon nap. No, he's, he's, he's getting up because he's been sleeping all day. And if he's been sleeping all day, 
That means he's been up all night, which of course begs the question, what has he been doing all night? I mean, when I was a kid, my parents told me that nothing good happened after midnight. I like to go to bed early, so I say it's more like 10 p.m. Nothing good happens after 10 p.m., but here's David. He's up all night, sleeping all day. When he finally wakes up, he's got this interesting sight in front of him, and what do you think David does? Verse 3, David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Remember that name, Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So the men are off fighting his battles. David is sleeping until the late afternoon, up all night, waking up, doing whatever he wants to do. And, and you read this, it, it, it maybe is a little bit tempting to put some of the blame here on um, on Bathsheba, because you think, ah, oh, what is she doing here? I mean, she's bathing out in the open. Who does that? Well, it turns out everyone in the ancient world would do this. This is, this is normal. This is ordinary kind of behavior to take your bath on the rooftop um, of your house. And so, um, and if you think about this from her side, you know, if the king sees you and if the king calls you and if the king propositions you, then, then you don't say no because he has all the power. So David is not just committing adultery here. He's using his power to coerce this woman into sex. I mean, there's this failure all over the place. And this is so disappointing. This is the man who's after God's own heart. It's so disappointing. And it gets worse. Because sometimes when you start digging a hole, you just got to keep digging. So we keep reading. So then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, that's Bathsheba's husband, and notice where he is. He's with the army fighting David's battles. So Joab sent him to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked him how um, Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. You know, just got to make some small talk here. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and Wash your feet. And by the way, wash your feet here doesn't mean wash your feet. There's a bit of an innuendo here, a bit of a wink-wink kind of thing. Yeah, go home, take, take it easy kind of thing. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, have you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark, that is the ark of the covenant, and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, well, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. And so this is David's grand strategy. Let's just get Uriah drunk. <laughs> but in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. So even drunk, Uriah is more righteous than David. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat. The master did not go home. Verse 14, in the, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. With Uriah, I'm sorry. And in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down, um, he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, 
he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. Well, now David finds himself in the sweet spot. You know what I mean by that? The sweet spot is the time that you lie and cover it up until the time that you're found out. But the thing is about lies is they have a way of catching up with you. And so the chapter ends with this line, verse 27. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. This leads to chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan, Nathan is the prophet, to David. And when Nathan comes to David, he's going to tell him a story, a parable. And the parable is about two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man has everything he could ever want. And and the poor man, on the other hand, has one lamb. And the poor man loves this lamb like a child. I mean, this, this lamb is, is so special to him. It is like he spoils this lamb. It's just like how some of us treat our dogs is how he treats this lamb. And, and, uh, the poor man loves, loves this lamb and, and is, a he's, he's with this, this lamb and loves it so much like a child. And, and this is how the poor man treats the lamb. And, and, uh, the rich man has a visitor come one day and, and the visitor comes, the, the rich man, instead of taking from all of his flocks and herds of, of sheep and, and goats, instead he takes this one lamb from the poor man and he prepares it for a feast for his, his visitor who comes. And David, David hears this parable, this story, and the Bible says this, verse 5, that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives... The man who did this must die. Now, Nathan must just be beside himself because he's got to be thinking, how can you have so little self-awareness that you don't understand this is about you? And so verse seven, Nathan said to David, you are the man. How did you not get this? This is, this is about you. So this leads to David's confession. In verse 13, we read this. Um, David said to Nathan, <clears throat> I have sinned against the Lord. Now the chapter goes on and it, and it tells the, the heartbreaking end of the story, which is the death of this child that Bathsheba's been carrying. And, and it's just a terrible, terrible failure um, from a man that you expect so much more from. Now, when sin is exposed in our life, like David is experiencing right now, we have exactly two choices on how we deal with this. On, on one, one hand, one, one of the choices we have is we can hide it like Adam and Eve in the garden did, like David uh, tried to do, or two, we can own it and uh, we can confess it. And at this point, it, it, it might seem like, like David's only choice here is to confess it because he's been, he's been found out, but, but he could easily continue to try to hide his sin and try to bury it down because this is what people do all the time. I mean, David didn't have to say to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He could have easily taken any number of ways trying to, um, trying to hide it. He could have downplayed it. He could have been like, ah, you know what, you know what, Nathan? I, I did this thing. It was wrong. I was made a mistake. Bathsheba was just a moment of weakness. He could have easily tried to downplay it. Or he could have tried to blame someone else. Another thing that we do to hide it. He could have been like, you know what, Nathan? It's Bathsheba's fault. I mean, why was she taking a bath in the middle of the day out in the open? Like, it's like, it's her fault. Or, or he could have tried to justify it. He's like, oh, I do so much for these people. I sacrifice so much as their leader. Leadership is so hard. He could try to justify it or he could have, 
Maybe he could have tried to compare himself to others. He's like, yeah, I did this thing. I did it, Nathan. But at least I'm not like Saul. I mean, remember him? That guy had a lot of problems. Or David could have just ignored it. He could have just brushed it under the rug. After all, he is the king. And he is a king who lived 3,000 years ago in a day when kings had unlimited power with no restraints, no checks and balances. And so if the king wanted to take Bathsheba, he could take Bathsheba. If he wanted to kill Uriah, he could kill Uriah. If he wanted to lie about it, he could lie about it. David had no no question about his power in those, in those kinds of ways. And all of the kings of the neighboring nations would have thought nothing about what David did. Instead, though, David, while he starts off trying to hide it, he, he ultimately doesn't do this. Instead, he comes to this place of confession, this place of, of owning his sin. Now, the great thing about David's life is not only do we have the events of his life in, first, or in 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel, but we also have his prayer journal, the longest book of the Bible, the Psalms. And there is a specific psalm, a prayer, that David wrote about this failure that he had with Bathsheba. It's Psalm 51. Let's go read it. it. starts off like this. Here's verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, this prayer is going to go on for 19 verses, and we're going to read all of it today. But all of the themes and the big ideas of this prayer are found in these first two verses. We need to really unpack these first two verses because there's so much here that's so rich and it's so helpful. And one of the best ways to unpack these first two verses is to look at three sets of three words that David uses to confess his sin. So first, notice the words that David uses to talk about his failure here. Three words here. He uses the words transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Now, a transgression is to willfully cross a line. It's to willfully commit a, a, a transgression, willfully do this. I want you to hear this word, willfully. Like a transgression is, is when we say, like, I, I, I knew what I was doing. I was in full control. I knew what I was doing. I know it's wrong. I, I, just, I, I, I knew what I was doing. And iniquity is usually associated um, with guilt. And so to, to call his failure, his actions here in iniquity is to, is to admit his his, uh, his guilt in this to say, I, not only did I know what I was doing, I, I knew it was wrong. That's what iniquity really is about. And the final word here is, is sin. The Hebrew word for sin is, is hata. And to sin means in biblical thought to, to, to miss the mark, which is very similar to how Paul talks about sin in Romans chapter three, when he says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have failed to live as God would have us to live. All of us miss the mark in a variety of ways. Some ways are big like David, where there's all kinds of consequences that really hurt other people. And sometimes we miss the mark, though, and no one even knows about it. But even though no one knows about it, it still causes harm. The harm might not be as obvious, but there's, there's always harm that comes with sin. For instance, I think about, I think about the struggle that so many people have with porn. Porn is one of those things that maybe no one knows about. It's a sinful thing. No one knows about it. It's a secret kind of thing for a lot of people in their life. In our culture, it's so common that there's this narrative that it's, it's just it's like this harmless kind of thing that out there, but it's not. I mean, for one, there's lots of reports about the number of people who are performing in this who have been trafficked. There's also uh, all this harm that's done internally as we warp our minds and our hearts, harm that's done to our marriages, harm that's done to our future marriages. Like there's all kinds of harm that comes to this. My point is that whenever you sin, whenever you transgress, whenever you have iniquity, whether it's big or small, whether it's public or private, there is always harm 
that comes with this. There's always consequences that come with this. So now David uses these three words to describe what he does. And he connects these three words with another set of three words where he asks God to do something about it. And so we have these three words. Blot out, in Hebrew, that's one word. Wash away, again, in Hebrew, that's one word. And cleanse, blot out, wash away, and cleanse. So David knows that he has sinned. He's not denying it. He's not downplaying. He's not justifying it or comparing himself or blaming someone else. He knows what he does. This is what I did. And not only does David know what he does, uh, knows this, but he also knows his only hope in dealing with his sin is God. He, He understands that that God is the only one who can do something about this. And that might sound really basic, kind of Sunday school-ish, but, but honestly, that's, that's not normal. That's not how most people deal with this problem of sin, their failure, their, their falling short that all of us do in some ways. What most people do is that they'll say or maybe they'll think something like this. You know, they're like, you know what, next time I'm going to do better. Or it's like, it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. I'm going to really calm down or I'm going to, I'm going to really work on, on, you know, building patience or I'm going to, I'm not going to talk about people like that ever again. Or it's like, I promise, I promise I'm, I'm just not going to respond or I'm not going to treat people like this. And that's just how most of us deal with this problem of sin. It's like our, our plan for, for sin that all of us have and all of us fail at is just to try harder and make more promises and just to have greater willpower. And if this is your strategy for dealing with the problem of sin that is true for all of us, Well, good luck with that, because the truth is willpower, self-discipline, trying harder, a growth mindset doesn't solve the problem of sin. Even going to therapy, and I'm a huge advocate for going to therapy, that doesn't solve the problem of sin. What David understands, or he rightly understands, is that he needs something beyond himself to deal with this problem that he has in his life. He's not strong enough to deal with it himself. He needs a power that comes from somewhere else. And so this is why he puts this in God's hands. Now, the reason why David isn't hiding his sin and the reason why he could put this in God's hands is this last set of three, last set of three words that we have in these first two verses of Psalm 51. So one more set of three words we have here. David talks about God's mercy, his unfailing love, and his great compassion. Now, when we talk about God's mercy, we talk about God's grace, you know, things we talk about all the time. The basic idea here is that that we understand that God doesn't treat us as we deserve. God doesn't treat us how we treat other people. God doesn't treat us how we treat him. Instead, God treats us with incredible mercy and grace. His posture towards us is always one of welcoming. That's mercy. That's, That's what grace is. And then David uses the second word here, unfailing love. In Hebrew, this is the word hesed, which is one of the most important words in the entire Old Testament to describe the character of God. It's a word, hesed is a word that's just packed full of meaning that's hard to translate. So sometimes it's maybe translated as unfailing love, sometimes it's faithfulness, sometimes it's steadfast or steadfast love, or sometimes it's just these two words, love and faithfulness. You might see in the Psalms sometimes. But the idea of said is simply this, that God never gives up on us. God, God never turns his back on us. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us, no matter what we've done. Even if we've taken Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, God never is done with us because, because his love for us is, is always there. And this leads to the third word that David uses here, where he describes God's compassion, his great compassion. The Hebrew word there is Rahamim, which 
is a word that's connected to the word for womb because this is a, this word compassion is, is linked to how a mother feels towards her child. This is how God feels towards us. This is the compassion that God has for us. Now, when you know who God is, you know his character, you can take every part of your life to him with no shame, no hesitancy, because you know you're going to receive grace and mercy and compassion and unfailing love. And so this leads to verse three. Let's read through here. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He knows that his actions towards others are action offense to God. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified in your judge. I am totally wrong is what he's saying here. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In Christian thought, we call this original sin, that all of us, all of us, including our heroes in the Bible, um, have this, this same problem we have. Verse six, yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hyssop was used in this temple to plant and the priest would take a, uh, branches and dip it in water and splash it on people to symbolize the cleansing that God can provide. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word create, Hebrew, the word is bara. Bara is something in the Old Testament that God is the only one who ever does. It's, it's a word that is always only reserved for God's actions. And so God is the one who creates in Genesis 1. He's also the only one who is able to create in us a pure heart here in Psalm 51. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in your offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, as you read through 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and you come to this uh, prayer in Psalm 51 that goes right along with it, you get this strange kind of paradox that takes place. Because on, on one hand, you have this hero of the Bible utterly failing, and it's like, it's like the Bible is, you know, sounding off warning bells and waving red flags and trying to get our attention. It's like, don't be like David. Don't become complacent and lazy and begin to think that the world revolves around you. But on the other hand, you also have this incredible confession where David didn't have to confess. David had all the power. He could have easily tried to continue to dodge his sin, and yet he offers this confession. And so it's almost like the Bible is saying, no, 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 do be like David, because when you sin and, and you will, when you fail and, and you will, when you transgress and you will, when you have iniquity and you will, when you, when you fall short and you will, the only thing that you can do is to be like David, to confess, to repent, to be honest about this, to own this, not to uh, cover it up or to minimize it or blame someone else, but to just simply throw yourself on God's mercy. And when you put yourself in God's hands and you throw yourself on God's mercy, oh my gosh, watch what he can do. Because what you're going to find is that just like in David's story, sin is not the end of David's story. Sin is not the end of any of our stories, not when the Lord is involved. So if you go back to 2 Samuel 12, one of the things I love about this story is that 
is that as David um, confesses and he writes this psalm and this whole episode is summed up at the end, at the very end of chapter 12, we read just this simple line here where it says this. It says, so David mustered the entire army. That's verse 29. I just love that. Because from his failure, and oh my goodness, did he fail. But David now is back to where he's supposed to be. Like he's been forgiven and now he has this new chance, this new life. And there's just so much redemption that we see in David's story here because this, this absolute failure that he, he, he commits after being a man who's been so inspiring, this is not what continues to define him. This is not even how we think about him looking back because we remember um, all that God has done in his life so much that David will become the ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah, and Jesus will multiple times be called the son of David. There is redemption in his story. And even in Bathsheba, there's all kinds of redemption that she experiences as well. She'll become the mother of King Solomon, who will continue the Davidic line. And in the New Testament, in the in Matthew, the first gospel, Matthew will open up with a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. We'll list 48 names, five of whom are women. And one of those women who will be lifted up and honored is specifically Bathsheba. It's like, this is what God does. He finds us in our failures. He finds us in our mistakes, our missteps, our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. And out of that, he brings forgiveness and redemption. He brings new life. He blots away. He cleanses. This is what he does. He he makes us new. He gives us hope. And today, maybe you need to hear this simple message of of encouragement today. The simple message of encouragement that, that this is what God can do. He can redeem us in any and every situation. And if he can do this in David's life, he can do this in your life. This is is what he does. No matter who you've let down, no matter how you've let God down, no matter how you've treated others, no matter how you've treated yourself, no matter what your story has been like, this is what the Lord can do. There's redemption, there's forgiveness, there's new life. There is a new story that God wants to write in your life. Because just like David, the big storyline in your life and in my life is not our sin but it's God's mercy. It's his unfailing love. It's his great compassion that he always has for us. And ultimately, of course, this is shown in the gift that he has given to you and to me to solve once and for all this problem that all of us have, this problem of sin, as he gives his own son that we might find new life. Let's pray together. So Father, today as we consider the story of David, Um, First of all, we just want to confess, just like David, that we are sinners, we transgress, we have iniquity, we do things out of selfish interest, we do things for ourselves, we hurt other people, we hurt ourselves, there's no blaming others, there's no denying it, there's no downplaying it, There's there's no justification that we want to seek. We just want to simply come to that confession that this is true for us, just as it's true for anyone else in this world, including David. But we also know that you are our hope. So we don't have to hide. We don't have to downplay. We don't have to just try harder. We don't just have to have more self-discipline or sacrifice or or think that we can solve this on our own. But rather, Lord, we know that in you and you alone, that this is our hope. And so, Father, today we want to put ourselves in your hands and your mercy. For some of us, maybe there's some very specific actions, very specific failure and sin that we need to confess to you today. Things that have been harboring inside of us, secret things, maybe public things, things that we have been hoping no one finds out about. But Lord, we need to lift these things before you and just stop trying to hide. For others of us, Lord, maybe even for the very first time, we want to come before you with that simple acknowledgement that, that we need you to be our Savior. The simple prayer, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? 
And for all of us, Lord, may we be encouraged today by the great love, the unfailing love, the compassion, the mercy that we always find in you. So that when we fall, and we will, we can always come before you to seek you, to seek your forgiveness and your mercy. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible and a special thank you to Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, we invite you to like and share it on social media. We thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for week 12 of our sermon series about David. I pray that you have a wonderful week. God bless you. Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Every time, every time, every time, every time. Upon the mountain, when my Lord spoke, out of his mouth came fire and smoke. Looked all around me, it looked so fine. I asked the Lord if all was mine. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, Jordan River, so chilly and cold, it chills the body, not the soul. When Satan tempts me, it's all in vain. With my Lord Jesus, I remain. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit 